The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And welcome to The Exchange. I'm Brian Sullivan. It is a big day for investors, a big day for your money. The Dow and the S&P having their biggest sell-off in nearly three months. The market's trying to gauge just how large the impact of the coronavirus will be to the U.S. and global economies, as well as companies with huge exposure to China. We're going to dig in on some of these sectors, including oil, restaurants, travel, and casinos, it's a big hour. We're glad you're here with us. That's ahead, but let's get more now on the markets and these numbers and market sentiment. Dom Chu has that for you to kick off the show. Dom. All right, so Brian Sullivan, we've talked a lot about the Dow and its impact today. At the lows, we were down about 550 points. If you're more of an S&P 500 watcher, the highs of the day, we were down about 36. So we're right near the best levels of the session. We were down 60 handles at one point at the lows. So again, the S&P Markedly lower, down one and a quarter percent, very much off the session lows. We'll see if that trend continues into the afternoon trade. Also watching what's happening with Treasury yields, because we've now hit some of the lowest levels we've seen in months at this stage. This 1.61 level that we're seeing here has been the move lower in yields, again, going all the way back to around October. That's the last time we saw yields this low. So people buying up the safety of Treasury debt, pushing those yields even lower. And you mentioned the companies with exposure to China in that region. These are three Dow components, Apple, Caterpillar, and Nike, that are all down markedly. Apple down 2%, 2.5% for Caterpillar, and 1.5% for Nike. Those three Dow components seen as having some business impact from either consumer spending or the economy in China. So keep an eye on those names. I'll send things back over to you, Brian. All right, Don, thank you very much. All right, now to more on the coronavirus outbreak and what we know at this hour. 82 people have died. All of them have been inside of China at this point. There are more than 2,800 confirmed cases, including now five in the United States. Yunus Yun is live in Beijing with the very latest on what the government there is doing. Meg Terrell with us here in studio with a look at how the American drug industry is trying to mobilize to help. Yunus, let us begin with you. What do we know at this hour? Well, Brian, the state media has just confirmed the first death in Beijing. Uh, This was a 50-year-old who had traveled to Wuhan, the epicenter of the outbreak. The authorities here have been recommending that everyone wear masks, which is why I'm wearing a mask here in this normally very popular and um, and very busy uh, nightlife district in Beijing. Uh, it's not, it wouldn't be as busy because of the Lunar New Year holiday, but still not as quiet as it's been today. Uh, the government authorities have moving very aggressively to try to contain what they've described as a strengthening virus. The Chinese Premier Li Keqiang is in the hot zone of Wuhan. Uh, this is after President Xi Jinping had uh, convened an emergency meeting over the weekend and had described the situation as grave. Uh, the question now is exactly when will companies return to work? The government has announced that it's extending the Lunar New Year holiday to February 2nd. Um, certain cities such as Shanghai and Suzhou, both very important to international business, have also extended their holidays uh, to February uh, 10th or after the February 9th and February 
um, uh, February 8th for, for Suzhou. And then individual companies have also been making some decisions. Tencent uh, said that they have asked their workers to stay at home until February 7th. Um, Ctrip or Trip.com um, has also said that um, it's decided that um, it's, it's told its, its workers not to come back to work until February 10th. So we're starting to see um, what could be a longer term impact on the economy as well as global business, Brian. Eunice, obviously our colleague, you're also our friend. We want to make sure that you are okay. What was your weekend like? How do you now, obviously you're working and we do appreciate that, but what is your day like <laughs> if you need something, food, something to drink? What, do you, is anybody going out or are you just literally staying in your apartment? Um, well, it's a little bit of both. I mean, people are going out. Um, I myself am going out, but you do feel quite nervous about it. So everybody you see now is wearing a mask. Um, and then when you go to the grocery store, it's really, really quiet. People are getting supplies. But, um, but I know but there are plenty of other people who are uh, ordering their food or their water online and are so paranoid about the possible spread of disease and germs that they're asking the couriers to just leave the food outside. And then after that, disinfecting everything before it actually comes into the house. I was just just in this district. There are, you know, currently aren't a whole lot of people, but I went over to the hotel and had a temperature scan every single time that I entered the hotel and was told to uh, sanitize my hands. I was at the Starbucks uh, just uh, getting a coffee. And um, after I uh, moved, they were spraying um, around the area and sanitizing everything. So so it's kind of all fed into the mentality mm -hmm. here. And um, I think it really gets into how people are are really nervous about the, the potential for this for, for this virus. Yeah, a very dramatic and scary personal anecdote there. Eunice, Yoon, obviously, we're thinking about you, Eunice. Thank you very much for joining us. Be well. All right, Meg, Terrell, let's turn now to the United States. We now have five confirmed cases and we also have a race in the drug industry to find any kind of a vaccine. Where do we stand on both fronts? Right yeah, Brian, drug companies are moving very quickly. Johnson & Johnson told us this morning they started work on a potential coronavirus vaccine two weeks ago. And biotech company Moderna is working with the NIH to advance a potential vaccine into human trials, they hope, within a few months. We went into Moderna's labs this morning to get a look at how they're doing this work so quickly. Their technology is called messenger RNA, and it's essentially a way of delivering a blueprint to the body's cells to make a protein. They've worked with NIH to identify the target on the virus for the vaccine scene and now are working to manufacture a batch to supply for the NIH to run a phase one clinical trial. While they run that phase one study, we will need to immediately start planning for the next phase of this program, which actually requires a substantial scale up of the amount of manufacturing so that vaccine could potentially be available if the pandemic spreads out of control. And Brian, of course, that is a big if companies are trying to make sure first they can develop the right vaccine and then next that they can ramp it up to scale to make it available if it's needed. And everyone hopes that it won't be. They do. And the market is obviously hoping for a solution, too. And there is extreme reactions in some cases. You had gone on in halftime with a market flash basically saying there's a company that just said they're effectively just sort of thinking about going after a vaccine and the stock spiked 25 percent. Well, it's Veer Biotechnology. They say they're looking into whether they can develop a potential therapeutic, and they're also screening existing compounds that they have in their library, something we've heard from a number of companies, folks working very quickly and people uh, in the stock trading world pulling the trigger quickly, too. They really are. Meg Terrell, thank you very much. 
All right. So exactly how prepared or not is the United States in responding to any kind of a coronavirus outbreak here? Joining us is Michael Levitt. He is former Health and Human Services Secretary. He is also the former governor of Utah. Governor Levitt, thank you very much for joining us here on CNBC. Is the United States prepared for any kind of a spread here? I think it's safe to say that there is no country on Earth that is uh, adequately prepared or as prepared as we would like to be. Uh, as your reporter indicated, uh, we're at least five, six months away from a, a vaccine. Uh, I think it's reasonable to expect that we'll see more cases inside the United States. Uh, the important thing will be for us all to keep this in perspective, and by that I mean taking it seriously, but at the same time uh, not engage in rhetoric that's, that inflames as opposed to informs. There, there will be a period of time if this uh, begins to spread inside the United States where people will need to uh, change their behavior. And uh, we, th- th- these are the same kinds of provisions that every family, every business, every community, uh, every employer needs to be thinking about not just for a pandemic virus but for many kinds of emergencies. But we also have to walk, I would imagine, that very fine and difficult line, Governor, which is you don't want to scare people unnecessarily. We do have five cases. Nobody is minimizing any of those five cases or what is happening. But you also don't want to create a situation where people may begin to act irrationally. So here's the problem. Anything you say in advance of a pandemic seems alarmist. Anything that you've done after it starts is inadequate. Uh, This is not a situation where government is able to just come to the rescue because it happens essentially everywhere at the same time. And so it's it's by necessity, that means that families need to just ask themselves, how prepared are we? Uh, Businesses need to say, if this were to mature, how would we respond? Could we operate remotely? Or how much could we do? School districts need to begin to ask themselves, at what point in time will we respond? Public health officials need to be doing a, a similar kind of thing. Look, pandemics happen. Uh, they, they happen every 30 years or so. It's just long enough apart that we forget how impactful they can be. And there is a pattern of uh, neglect over time. We, we, we suddenly have other priorities and we don't prepare as well as we could or should. And we find ourselves in the position that not only we, but for, the ma- that, for that matter, the rest of the world uh, find themselves in. So what would you do? What's your recommendation? Well, I, I would suggest that everyone should be asking themselves exactly the same questions they would if there was a worry about a a big snowstorm coming, uh, or if there was a, 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 an earthquake were to hit your community, you'd want to make sure that if you had to stay home for a, 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 an extended period, a couple of weeks, would we have the capacity to do that? It's a good thing to think about. And, and not just because five people in the United States are sick and there's a, a lot of worry around the world. Mm-hmm. It's just a good idea. If you're in a, in a business, it's a very good idea to say, what would happen if we needed to re- operate remotely? Could we do that? Is our technology such that we would have the protocols in yeah. place? Ho- hope for the best, but plan. Michael Levitt, it was a pleasure to have you on CNBC. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. 
All right, we've got a news alert in the bond market right now. Five-year notes up for auction. Let's see if demand there is robust. And go back to Rick at the CME. Rick. Well, Brian, this is the second of our two auctions today. $41 billion, as you mentioned, five-year notes. We had $40 billion too. So $81 billion down. And this auction, well, we moved from a C-plus in the last auction to a D-plus this auction. The yield, one point four four eight. The when issued market bid side was one point four four. It tailed uh, the bid to cover 2.33, the weakest since September. The only thing that was really on spot average was indirects at 60%. 13.9 on directs was light. This was light, didn't price right, and hence the D plus. 32 billion seven years tomorrow will cap 113 billion in supply, Brian. And it's probably safe to say with the big rally we've had, pushing yields down. It seems as though investors are reluctant to step up and buy at these auctions. Back to you. All right. Rick said, tell you at the CME. Rick, thank you very much. All right. Coming up, are stocks being sold only because of the virus or were some simply looking for any reason to sell and take profits? We'll dig into that. Plus, coffee, cruises, casinos. We have seen these industries sell off big on the virus concerns, but there is one stock in none of those sectors that you have to watch, and we'll have that name. And how much will this impact oil demand, prices, and oil stocks? We'll break down the numbers in a piece you're only going to hear on The Exchange. Stick around. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back. Stocks are continuing to sell off at this hour, although we are well off our lows of the day. You can see the Dow is down about 350 points. We were down over 400 at one point, which took us negative on the year. We're actually still fractionally positive in 2020 on the Dow, about four-tenths of 1%. Now, no one is doubting the seriousness of the coronavirus, either from a human or economic angle. But in what's been a red-hot stock market over the past year, Is it possible that some nervous investors are using this as a reason to sell for other reasons? We're joined now by Jerry Castellini, President and Chief Investment Officer of Castle Arc Management, and Neil Hennessy, Portfolio Manager and Chief Investment Officer of Hennessy Funds. Jerry, what do you think? Well, I mean, you don't get markets up 30% very often. And when you listen to the technicians and the folks that follow momentum, they've been trying to give a warning signal now for a while that maybe it's time for a rest. So you take that and you throw something out of left field like a a pandemic, and I would expect a fair amount of people to just say, I'm going to put some money on the sideline. It's actually an outstanding opportunity for fundamentalists to actually take what's really going on behind this and and pick their stocks. And you're starting to see some of those opportunities uh, today. Uh, and and let that wave of selling get through. And it, and it unfortunately might take uh, three or four weeks. Neil, are you getting those calls from clients? We've made a lot of money. Let's sell some stocks. And if so, what, what do you advise them? What do you tell them to do? 
No, I think you just got to step back and look at the picture, Brian, here. This is just one other scare that we've seen in the last couple of years, if not the last 10 years, from the standpoint of the Russian investigation to impeachment to tariffs to, you know, uh, dysfunction in Washington. It gives creates an opportunity for the fundamental managers to actually make very good purpose, uh, purchases. This is where the difference comes in, Brian, because we've been talking for the last three years about index fr- funds, Versus professionally managed indexes or, or managed money. And this is where it starts to peel apart and say, okay, the market's going to go down. It's just a scare, but we've seen this. We've already had 22 corrections since 2010. And we've come back, to, you know, 20, 16 of them were between 5 and 10%, and six of them were between 10 and 20%. So, But the market's corrected itself. So it's not that uh, as much as this is a serious scare, scare health-wise, it doesn't have anything to do with the fundamentals underlying the market going forward. Well, let's get some of those specific ideas, because it does appear, Jerry, that people have just sort of you know, hit sell now, and they'll think about what they sold later. You think that this is a great opportunity for what you call the Morgans, JP and Morgan Stanley. Yeah, I have three groups. Uh, the Morgan Brothers are the easy ones, uh, really attractive valuation. They've just reported dynamite record earnings, and everything's on, uh, you know, on go for both of those franchises. And I, I, I just think you're going to look back at, uh, in the next six months and go, wow, remember when we had the chance to buy both of those companies as their cycle is turning and as valuations are heading in their direction? So I would lean into those right away. I would also look at uh, what you have the opportunity in the energy stocks, which now are being valued as though the entire economic expansion will go away and price of oil will drop to 30 or $40. I mean, that's, it's kind of silly, but that's what's just happened in the last 10 days since this thing got started. And you can buy mm-hmm. Conoco and EOG here down uh, 10, 15% just from where they were three weeks ago. I mean, th- those are powerful quality names in a commodity part of the market. And I would also throw uh, Apple in. I mean, who's had an entry point in Apple, really, that they can fall back on in the last yeah. uh, six the months? The idea, so, I guess, if you, if you need an iPhone, you're going to get it. You may just not get it right now. You'll wait till the all clear. By the way, we're going to do a deeper dive on oil. So stick around about 20 minutes, Jerry. We're going to do a deeper dive on the oil math to talk about Conoco. So that's kind of a deep tease. Uh, Neil Hennessy, NCR and iTron, you believe, have been sold again, maybe undeservedly, and present a good opportunity. Why? Well, both of them have low price-to-sales ratio. Both of them are going to earn around $3 a share, and neither one of them happen to pay a dividend. And you start to think about smart meters for the gas, water, heat, uh, in homes, businesses, that Citron. If you start to look at NCR, a lot of people don't realize, but it's a scanner's in the store when they're scanning your food or the kiosks at the airport. So these are solid companies. They're more or less sort of like a coin-operated laundromat. It's one of those things that are real not ex- really not exciting, Brian, but you never see a going-out-of-business sign on the outside of their doors. All right, some real-world stock examples from Jerry Castellini and Neil Hennessy. We're watching all those names. Guys, we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you. All Thank right, you. coming up, we just talked about it. Oil and gas stocks getting hit as hard or harder than almost every other group. The question is, how much worse might it get or might not We're going to walk you through the China oil math. You'll only see it here on the exchange. Plus, T-Mon is six days until the Super Bowl, but the stadium where the big game will be played is in it for the long game when it comes to climate change. You don't want to miss the latest installment of our Rising Risk series. And as a reminder, you can always watch us live, on the go, on the CNBC app. 
Check it out. Download it today. And we're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. Well, as bad as the market numbers look right now, down about 360 on the Dow, if you go back to the morning, our low of the day was down 550. So we've come almost 200 points off of our low right now. So the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ are having their worst day in a number of months, but the market has come off its bottom right now. We're about 360 points to the downside on the Dow. Well, all 11 sectors are down, led by energy, tech, and materials. Energy falling hard as oil drops again on demand fears, something we'll dive a little bit later on into the show. Leading the declines in the Dow, United Health, Intel, American Express, and Dow. It is not all bad out there, though. you got Walmart, Pfizer, DR Horton, and Arconic, which are actually in the green. So let's turn now to materials. The average yield in that sector stands at around 2.1%. But thanks to an erosion in stock prices pushing yields higher, that income hasn't actually been all that attractive. But do not throw that proverbial baby out with the bathwater yet, because Mr. Dominic Chu has done some digging, and he found some names in the sector that stand out to him and others, Dom. All right, so yes, sir. First of all, there are some stocks with the materials that have held up better than others, despite the fact that the markets have sold off. And by the way, materials, the second worst performing sector in the S&P 500 over the last 12 months, second only to energy. Now, If you take a look at the reasons why we look for these particular stocks, we wanted to find ones because of the emphasis on dividend yield in a time when 10-year Treasury note yields are only at about 1.6%. We said, well, what happens in the materials sector if you find stocks that have positive price performance over 3, 6, and 12 months, so nearer, medium, and longer-term price appreciation, and then we rank them by dividend yield? Among the names that pass this particular simple screen within dividends in materials are names like Air Products, which carries a 2.3% yield and has positive price momentum in that time span. Also, FMC, a 1.9% yield, Albemarle, a 1.9% yield, and Avery Dennison, a 1.8% yield. Now, that is not to say that the capital appreciation for these stocks has been gangbusters for all of them. In certain cases, it hasn't been. But if you're looking for some semblance of stability and you want to be in materials, those are some of the names that have held up relatively well and still do, Brian, pay you to wait in some small way. I'll send things back over to you. Yeah, and rocking out the lithium play, Albemarle Corp. Dom Chu, thank you very much. We'll see you soon. All right, now let's get a CNBC News update with Sue Herrera. Sue. Hello, Brian. Hello, everyone. Here's what's happening at this hour. A military official confirms a U.S. Air Force plane has crashed in a Taliban-controlled territory of Afghanistan. 
The cause of that crash is under investigation, but does not appear to have been brought down by hostile fire. Officials have not confirmed the number on board or if there were any fatalities. Revelations made by John Bolton in an upcoming book are causing chaos in the Senate impeachment trial, bringing the issue of calling witnesses to the forefront. At least two Republicans, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins, have signaled they are more open to that idea. The U.S. attorney overseeing the ongoing investigation into Jeffrey Epstein says Prince Andrew has provided, quote, zero cooperation, end quote. FBI investigators say the prince has not responded to requests for an interview. And Mackenzie Bezos has cut her stake in Amazon by roughly $400 million, or about 200,000 shares. Bezos received 4% of the company in her divorce deal from CEO Jeff Bezos. You are up to date. That's the news update this hour. Brian, back to you. All right, Sue. Thank you very much. All right, on deck. Investors taking their chips and their money off the table on casino stocks again today. It's all on China fears. We'll look at what it will take to get the sector back on track when those fears do calm down. Plus, what may be the number one consumer brand with China exposure that almost nobody is talking about? But we'll talk about it coming up. And a sneak peek at Phil Lebeau's candid interview with Carlos Ghosn, all ahead of our documentary release tonight. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Well, coronavirus concerns are mounting nearly 2,900 cases an 82 confirmed death as of the last hour to slow its spread. Parts of China's economy have nearly come to a complete halt. And shares of companies with large financial exposure to the Chinese consumer, well, they're being slammed. Let's take a CNBC look at three different groups of those. Kate Rogers here looking at the impact on fast food and coffee. Sima Modi with the travel names. And Contessa Brewer is drilling down on the casinos. Welcome to you all. Let's begin with Kate Rogers. All those restaurants closing across China. And unlike many things like a jean or an iPhone, you do not get that restaurant sale back. When you miss it, it's gone. And the biggest of them all, Brian, of course, is Starbucks, which is closing some of its stores in China. As confirmed cases continue to rise, a spokesperson telling CNBC, we're working closely with local health authorities, taking actions with the health of partners and customers top of mind, including clothing, closing stores in some locations. We continue to monitor this closely to take further actions as the situation evolves. Now, China matters in a big way to Starbucks, which has seen growth there, even in the face of aggressive competition from local startup Luckin. Guggenheim says that there are some 100 Starbucks stores in Wuhan itself. The company also faces more financial risk because it owns its Chinese locations. They are not licensed out to other operators. It's also worth noting, too, other stocks with exposure there, including McDonald's, Yum China, and Luckin Coffee, are all also moving lower today. Okay, with Starbucks, earnings are out tomorrow. Nobody is suggesting the earnings don't matter. But those were roughly 90 days when we weren't talking about the coronavirus. I would imagine the folks you're talking to, the analysts, are already looking at what this quarter's earnings hit might be. Well, so last quarter, China had same-store sales growth of 5%. I think analysts are looking for about the same uh, number this coming quarter. Looking out to Q2, I talked to RJ Hadavi of Morningstar today. He said he had been tracking for positive same-store sales of between 3 and 4%. Now, due to coronavirus, this could be a negative low to mid single-digit comps there. So a big reversal. What it does for the full year, of course, remains to be seen. But Starbucks does call China its second home market. It is a very big deal to them. Yeah, and if it goes on those numbers that RJ just gave you might might go up. It seems like a pretty small figure. We'll Kate Rogers, thank you very much. 
Let's now pivot to the travel names. 18 cities across China are under some sort of travel restriction. And with people steering clear of the country due to coronavirus fears, airlines, hotels and cruise lines, as you might imagine, they are all seeing heavy investors selling. Let's bring in now more about what Wall Street is saying about this group with Seema Modi. Seema. Hey, Brian, that's right. And the early readings show that the coronavirus has disrupted travel during the critical Lunar New Year. The question is to what extent, but that is pressuring shares of Trip, formerly known as Sea Trip, that's China's largest online travel operator. And then in the cruise lines, as Royal Caribbean and Carnival both have suspended Chinese sailings, Nomura this morning estimates that this loss in revenue will result in a five and three cent hit to Royal Caribbean and Carnival's 2020 earnings, respectively. But it's not just the cruise operators. Hotels have been building out their pipeline on the mainland. In fact, China leads the world in hotel room construction with over 228,000 rooms currently being built. That's up 13 percent from a year ago. Marriott, Hilton, Hyde, Intercontinental are some of the hotels that are really putting a lot of money to work inside the country. Brian. There will be a time, Seema, when the all clear is sounded. Hopefully that'll be sooner than later. What does history, if anything, tell us about how long it may recover. If they, if they announce the all clear, do people get back on a train or a plane tomorrow? Does travel recover that fast? Yeah, that's the big question. History has shown us with other health scares, travel stocks tend to respond uh, pretty negatively uh, for a period of time. But over one to three months, typically these travel stocks tend to rebound. It just depends on uh, the coronavirus, how long it takes to contain and also the size and magnitude uh, of the scare and if it does spread really beyond just China to other parts of the world as we already are seeing but how uh, how bad it can get. Wow it may take another quarter after it's over to recover. Simo Modi thank you very much. Now to the third big group taking a hit perhaps harder than any other that is the casinos. Win Las Vegas Sands, Melco and MGM all tumbling. It's the center of China's gambling world Macau turns away visitors. Contessa Brewer joining us now with more on that. I saw a note you put out over the weekend. Travel has all but stopped to these casinos. Well, it's down 50 percent from where it was the same holiday period last year, uh, maybe 60 percent if you include us at the third day in visitation over these first three days of the Chinese New Year. That's a precipitous decline um, showing it from mainland China, those numbers coming to us from the Macau government. And the impact on casinos with resorts in Macau is showing up in the share price. Let, let me show you. When the most exposed here, with nearly three-quarters of its revenue coming from Macau, its stock is down today some uh, 6%, more than 17%. In a week, Bank of America, in fact, downgraded Win from buy to neutral and lowered the price target by $10 to 150 because of the significant near-term risk. Las Vegas Sands has five properties in Macau. It translates to about 65% of its revenues. Its stock is down today as well, almost 15% for the week. And Hong Kong-based Melco Resorts is getting punished, down more than 19% over the last seven days. Morningstar points out it may be more insulated than its competitors because almost 40% of its revenues come from the Philippines. But will the Philippines then get a hit from a lack of tourists? MGM Resorts also relies much more heavily on its U.S. operations, and still we're seeing its shares down more than 3% today, 11.5% over a week. And don't forget, the chief executive in Macau has held on to this possibility of closing down the casinos entirely if this outbreak Mm. worsens. What about Las Vegas? Any impact seen there? So last week I asked about the impact for Las Vegas because, of course, Chinese New Year is a very big holiday in Las Vegas with Chinese tourists coming into that big tourism mecca. 
they said there had been no cancellations. It makes sense, right? If you're mm-hmm. in a virus situation, you want to get out of town. The question is, and analysts are looking at this, with all of the travel restrictions in place, with the quarantining of cities, will there be an impact? Well, we're going to find out. Thank you very much, Contessa Brewer. Well, many companies and stocks, like the ones we talked about that are being impacted, seem pretty obvious. Big names in China, like Nike and Tapestry. But there is one that you may not have thought about. That is Estee Lauder. Yep, 17% of its sales come from China, far more than many of its peers. Stock is on pace for its worst day in a long time, and it certainly is not being helped by a downgrade out of Oppenheimer today. Let's bring in the man who made that call, and that is Rupesh Parikh. He is Managing Director and Senior Analyst at Oppenheimer. Rupesh, thank you for joining us. Um, we talked about, I mentioned it, some sales are gone forever. You, you, you can't go back in time and go to dinner. They lose your sell. Won't much of, much of Estee Lauder's sales ultimately come back just with a lag? Yeah, so as you look at Estee Lauder, so a key part of their business is travel retail, and that's driven by passenger traffic at duty-free shops in various airports and other travel corridors. So our worry is some of that, some of that business will, will, will go away permanently. Got it, because those passengers are passing through ostensibly one time. They're not going to come back. And by the way, those travelers, as we know from the data, are either not going or the numbers have been cut a lot. Have you been able to do any channel checks at all? I know it's probably a yeah. difficult situation. Yeah, so it's still very early. I mean, some of the data out there suggests that there's more than a 25% decline in, in passenger traffic year over year on the first day of Lunar New Year. And if you look at air travel within China, it's down more than 40%. So it is having a significant ap- impact on foot traffic, which we do think is, is impacting SA's do business. Do you think there's any chance that those numbers are conservative? Yeah, I, I actually do yeah. think it is conservative. I mean, that 25% down number was, I would imagine, a couple of days ago. Things have arguably gotten worse, and the restrictions imposed by the government have gotten tighter. That's correct. And the second impact that's harder to determine at this point is there could be an economic impact. So SA does sell the higher-end cosmetics, and that's the, that's the other angle that we're worried about, is that there could be a pullback in consumer spending due to, due to the virus concerns out there. And let's hope it does not move or spread more. But we do know that there are other countries who have reported maybe one case. How important is an India to an Estee Lauder? Yeah, so India is a growing emerging market. It's still, they still have low exposure to the Indian market. So I would say it's more of a growth vehicle, but it's not really a driver of the story. I mean, for Estee, the Chinese consumer drives about 25% of their entire business. So it's really all about China and travel retail that's currently driving the story as Estee is struggling in other markets such as the U.S. Okay, well, a double hit there for Estee Lauder, Rupesh Parikh. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, up next, with just six days to go, excitement is building for the Super Bowl 54. But the very stadium where the Chiefs are going to face off against the 49ers may be facing some long-term challenges of its own. Diana Olick is here with more on that story. Diana. Well, Brian, extreme lightning, sudden flooding, and it's not just in Miami's Hard Rock Stadium. We'll explain the rising risks to stadiums and arenas from climate change coming up next on The Exchange. All right, welcome back. Well, there is less than one week to Super Bowl Sunday, one of the most lucrative sporting events in the world, if not the most lucrative. But the game and the entire sports industry is facing fast-growing challenges from climate change. Diana Olick takes a look at her series, Rising Risks. On Super Bowl Sunday, about 65,000 fans will stream into Miami's Hard Rock Stadium to watch the biggest battle in football. 
but the very venue in which they're cheering is already in an epic battle all its own. The last three years in September, we've had uh, climate issues. Tom Garfinkel is CEO of the Miami Dolphins, which just paid $500 million to renovate the open-air stadium. We've had uh, lightning strikes that we've never had in 30 years here, where we had to delay a game. It was the longest game in the history of the NFL. A random extreme rainfall produced these images from a college game at Hard Rock in 2018. And that's just one stadium. In Florida alone, the sports industry contributes $57.4 billion and 580,000 jobs to the local economy annually, according to a 2017 survey by the Florida Sports Foundation. American Airlines Arena, home to the Miami Heat, sits on the edge of Biscayne Bay. The arena will begin to flood with only two feet of sea level rise. I'm talking 20 years or less, about three feet for the Hard Rock Stadium. Henry Briseño researches climate's impact on water. His thoughts on news of a major league soccer expansion team proposing a stadium near the Miami airport? They are building in the future Atlantis. The risk extends far beyond Florida to San Diego, where in 2017 the Padres' Petco Park flooded, to Western Michigan University's football stadium last June, when record rainfall did this, and to Davenport, Iowa's minor league stadium, where rising rivers last May turned it from a field of dreams into a nightmare. Every community that hosts a professional sports venue is going to be affected by global climate disruption, whether through storm surges, more precipitation, stronger hurricanes, wildfires, droughts. Alan Hershkowitz is environmental science advisor to the New York Yankees, the first and only such known position in professional sports. He also advises the MLB, NBA, NHL, USTA, and Major League Soccer. We're dealing with very large real estate infrastructure investments. Regardless of who owns them, they are going to be affected. As a result, the sports industry is actually one of the most aggressive in going green. And that sends a powerful message. Because while very few people follow climate science, the vast majority of Americans follow sports. No one looks at the New York Yankees and thinks that they're some kind of a left-wing radical organization. The Yankees, among others, are investing in carbon compensation projects, and most teams are now reducing their carbon footprints in their stadiums. This year, the Dolphins are eliminating all single-use plastics. Cups will be aluminum. When sports can pick something up, you're really hitting an audience that's very broad. And if it impacts sports, it really just makes it that much more important. Stephen Ross is both owner of the Miami Dolphins and chairman of the Related Companies, one of the nation's largest real estate developers. As the owner of a team, do you see any risk to your investment from climate change? Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, if we don't do something now, we are looking at extinction. These are our issues that have to be dealt with today. Diana, look, joining us now, Diana, another great piece there. Listen, if you built a stadium 20 years ago, and, you know, when we weren't talking about this, we get it. But apparently there are still new billion-dollar stadiums being built hard up against water. Yeah, we talked about the one in Miami, the soccer stadium. But in Oakland, the Oakland A's are proposing to build a stadium right on the edge of the San Francisco Bay. They talk about raising the foundation, putting in green space. They are well aware of the possible flooding. But the question to me is, if you build this island of resilience, this stadium, how do the people get to it if it's flooded all around to it? 
there is an attractiveness to water. You look at San Francisco, one of the highlights, somebody hits a home run, McCovey Cove, the kayakers go out, it makes good television. Well, and that's their argument, is that you want to put the sports stadiums where the people are, and the biggest growth in real estate development is actually on both of the coasts. An important series there, rising risks and pretty dramatic footage of Petco Park and others. Wow, underwater. Diana, thank you very much. Coming up, former Nissan CEO Carlos Ghosn, now an international fugitive. But you're going to hear from the man himself in a sneak peek of CNBC's original documentary, Fugitive CEO. Welcome back. The world's most famous and maybe only CEO turned fugitive Carlos Ghosn recently spoke with Phil LeBeau about his spectacular escape from Japan. Well, tonight we're going to hear new details from Ghosn himself about how he felt during his first moments on the run. It's mid-afternoon when Ghosn departs alone from his three-story home in the upscale Minato City neighborhood. As he walks, a restaurant's security camera spots a man believed to be him. Carlos, the day you leave your house, there's video of you walking down the street. Mm. Were you scared somebody might recognize you? No, I was walking on the street. Everybody could recognize me. I mean, I was not hiding. You weren't scared? Absolutely not. I was walking on the street. I did nothing wrong. Using added caution, Ghosn takes a quiet, indirect route to the Grand Hyatt Hotel nearby. Here, he meets Taylor and Zayak, the men he's counting on to spirit him out of Japan. You can hear more from Carlos Ghosn during our new CNBC original documentary, Fugitive CEO, The Carlos Ghosn Story. That will premiere tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern time, right here on CNBC. Do not miss that incredible story. Right up next, the map behind China and oil demand and why history will not be a good guide. And welcome back to The Exchange. Oil and oil stocks hit hard on coronavirus fears. Crude oil down 11% this month, and oil stocks have taken a huge hit as well, with many down 15, 20, or even 25% this month. Is this kind of reaction deserved? Let's give you a CNBC walk through the numbers. China uses about 13.5 million barrels of oil per day. That's about 14% of daily global oil consumption. Now, half of China's use, just under, is from transportation. So let's call that six to six and a half million barrels a day for planes, trains, and automobiles. Well, as of two days ago, government data shows that all forms of transport, driving, flying, trains, is down about 30% and likely to fall further. So if 30%, Of those six million transportation barrels are no longer needed, we'll call that one and a half to two million barrels per day of excess supply or about one to two percent of total daily global demand. Now, falling oil prices have slammed our energy stocks. But from an actual export perspective, China isn't that important for our oil market, except for price. The United States is just the 10th largest exporter to China. You got Russia, Saudi Arabia and even Angola in the top three. We export about 200 to 300,000 barrels of oil per day to China. Basically one sort of small to mid-sized ship. There's your list. We are coming in at 10th. Now, there are big U.S. companies with direct exposure through joint ventures in China, namely the names you might imagine, ExxonMobil, Chevron, and ConocoPhillips, either in oil or natural gas. So what exactly might history tell us about where oil demand goes? Probably not much. The closest comparison we have, of course, is the 2003 SARS outbreak. 
That sent oil falling from 38 bucks a barrel to 25, about a 30% haircut in just two months. But that's not really a good guide because China's economy is 720% larger now than it was then. Their GDP was under 2 trillion and oil use has nearly tripled from that SARS outbreak. So if the virus continues to spread, let's hope it doesn't. But if it does, travel in the economy will likely continue to slow, sending an already well-supplied oil market reeling with a million or two excess barrels in the market every day. So look for two things potentially going forward. OPEC, they could come out and extend their current cuts or make a new emergency cut in the debt-heavy U.S. oil and gas stocks, the Whitings, Oasis, Calons, the names we don't talk about much. Look for those stocks to potentially take an even bigger hit than they already have. Let's dig more into this and bring in Claudio Gallimberti of s Global Platts. Claudio, welcome. Uh, those are the numbers. We're just running them over the weekend. What do you think? What are your numbers? Thank you, Brian. Uh, I think these, uh, y- the number you have are, are definitely uh, very, very large. Uh, uh, our too large. W- probably too large. In, uh, at least we need to see. Our worst case scenario for as of, uh, uh, let's say, as of this morning is 800,000 barrels per day of oil demand reduction. That is primarily out of uh, global aviation. So its air transportation will be impacted dramatically. We have already seen 30% drop in, uh, in the travel in China. Our base case scenario is actually lower than that. So it's, uh, it's not 800,000 barrels, it's around 200,000 barrels per day as of, uh, as of this How morning. How is it only, with all due respect, I just did math. 45% of their oil use is transport. That's down 30%. You take 30% of 6 million. It's, it's fast developing. Our number will actually increase quite significantly. And uh, we, we are going to have uh, our, our new estimate out. It's actually going to be much closer to our worst case scenario. But again... We don't have enough information right now about the virus. So we don't know how many people have been infected and will be infected. If we take SARS as an example, 8,000 people were infected. With, uh, with this virus, uh, already we, we are ramping up to those numbers. And as uh, we come closer to those numbers, of course, the impact on oil demand will and, be... And let's obviously, everyone, the world hopes it just you know, gets right. only better from here. Do you think OPEC has to take action? It, it might need to take action if the oil prices uh, fall below uh, a certain threshold. Then probably they are already they are already at about that threshold. Brand, the international benchmark, is about sixty, fifty-eight dollars per barrel as of uh, as of today. So that's OPEC m- might need to take action. And quickly, this fifty-two buck, fifty-three buck. It's bad news for the for the debt-heavy U.S. oil and gas producers. It is. It is. Claudio Gallimberti of S&B Global Platts. When you get those new numbers, I expect to see them, my friend. Absolutely. And we'll put them on CNBC. Thank you very much, Claudio Gallimberti of SB Global Platts. Luckily, with not quite the severe estimates yet, we'll see what happens. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 